Today we're going to talk a lot about uh, the idea of a testimony and especially like a courtroom kind of setting. So for uh, a couple of years I've been a part of a club, a rotary club. It has a lot of lawyers in it. So they were telling this lawyer joke. This isn't one of my jokes, but you know, it's the lawyer joke. And they said uh, there was this lawyer questioning this coroner and uh, he was trying to prove a point, the defense lawyer. So he said, uh, did you take the pulse of this individual before you declared him dead? He said, no, I didn't. Did you check his breathing before you declared him to be dead? No, I didn't. Did you check the brainwave pattern before you declared him to be dead? And he just kept saying no. So finally they said, what made you think that you could declare this individual dead without any evidence? He said, well, actually, his brain was in a jar on my desk. But, you know, he could be out practicing law somewhere. (laughs) I'm not sure that ever happened in a courtroom. But, you know, it makes a good joke. Any lawyers here today? Have I offended anybody? for a couple of years, the presidents of our Rotary Club were lawyers, so they just kept telling every week a new lawyer joke. Do you know how many lawyer jokes there are? <laughs> Let's not make fun of lawyers today, but I want to put you in the lawyer chair today, or maybe even the jury pool today. How many of you gotten a jury summons? And be- Okay, you guys know about that. Maybe, in essence, we're thinking more jury pool today. Than- There's a lot of famous famous trials out there. How many of you can remember the O.J. Simpson trial? Okay, that's a, you must have been a little young one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah. Uh, George Zimmerman trial, you know. Recently, Derek Chavez and the George Floyd trial. It it probably wasn't quite this magnanimous, you know, effect, but huge uh, in, in many ways. We would maybe call some of those the trial of the decade or the trial of maybe even the century. Today we want to talk about <laughs> the trial of the ages. The trial of the ages. What are we talking about here? We're talking about something that would lead someone like Josh McDowell to write a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Oh, I love that title. In fact, he wrote two volumes of the same book, they are apologetic, we call them, apologetic proofs about the existence and the work, the mission, the ministry of Jesus. Evidence (laughs) that demands a verdict. And you're here today really sitting under that same thought that God provides, that every person on the planet has evidence presented to them that gets the opportunity, that has the responsibility of levying a verdict. A verdict. Oh, and it was Lee Strobel who wrote one similar. He, he, he wrote a case for Christ. Well, what's that mean? It's a courtroom case for Christ in the existence. Now, he, you know, what's interesting. It's his story about wanting to disprove Christianity because he was really, really irritated that his wife, Leslie, became a Christian at Willow Creek Community Church. And the really thing that ticked him off she gave an offering. 
And he was like, you're not gonna waste my money on some false thing. So he set about, he was a journalist at Chicago Tribune. And he said about, I am gonna disprove this stinking thing once and for all. You know what happened, right? <laughs> the case for Christ. <laughs> he became a fervent believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus and a preacher of the gospel and a writer of a case for Christ. Now I dare other people to do the same thing. Okay, go ahead, go about it to disprove Christianity. <laughs> You'll end up with the same result. And the question is this, the question is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Everybody on the planet has to come up with an understanding and a verdict on who is Jesus. That's the question of the day. A secondary question to it is, what testimony are you going to believe? What evidence are you going to listen to? What is the courtroom setting that you will listen to when Jesus said to you, like he says, said to Peter, who do men say that I am? Remember that? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say Elias, some say Elijah, some say the prophet. And Jesus bolted it down. He, he narrowed it down. He looked Peter and the other disciples eyeball by eyeball. What did he say? Who do you say I am? And by the way, that's the same question that's on our plate today. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what the Apostle John is going to dive into today, and he's going to talk about testimony. He's going to talk about the Father. Hey, that's good for Father's Day, right? The Father's testimony about who Jesus is. Is that good? Can we kind of combine the Father's Day thought with the courtroom kind of thought today? You've never heard a message on Father's Day from this passage. I almost guarantee it, you know? But we're gonna talk about the Father's triple testimony. So that by the word of two or three witnesses, every term is confirmed. Every word is confirmed in that. When Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? He was talking about eyewitness account. Peter could see up close and personal. And we have that eyewitness account to base our faith on. That Jesus was the son of God. That Jesus was divine and human at the same time. That Jesus was the one <laughs> who lived and who died. Who was buried and who rose on the third day. Who appeared to the disciples like Ryan was just reading about. 500 at one time, many of which were still alive at the time of the writing. So who do you say Jesus is and who do you listen to? Now there might be three different kinds of people here today. You might be here today and you might be saying, Pastor Bruce, I made that verdict long ago. I am convinced. I am dedicated. I'm set on that. You might be here today and you might be going, I'm not 100% sure. I am questioning. I am wondering. Or maybe even, 
I kind of believe it in my head, but I don't live it in my life. A third group might be those who said, I've checked things out, and at this point, I disbelieve. I reject that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living. Wherever you're at, I'm glad you're, if you're listening online or something, I'm glad you're taking in this idea because you need to hear and you need to decide today. You need to decide for yourself and with the evidence that God shows with his triple testimony, who is Jesus and how do we follow him? Let's talk about this testimony here. It's verses three, or excuse me, six through 12 of 1 John chapter five, verses six through 12. Let's read it and then tear it apart as we go. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. That it is his spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. Hey, that's where, right where it comes from. The spirit the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe that God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son of, has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for opening it up to us today. Would you do even more? Give us insight. Give us wisdom. Give us leadership to show us your triple testimony about your son. Open our hearts. Open our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about the three that agree. The three things that uh, we can count on <laughs> to agree. In this case, he says it this way. He says, the water. Now, all of these symbols, there's kind of multiple interpretations for what they might mean and how they might happen. For instance, the, um, when you come to, 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 to the water, it could be, the water of birth. You know how a woman's water breaks? Okay, maybe it means that. It could be uh, the water like at the time of a baptism. In fact, some of the early reformers thought it had to do with the two ordinances, baptism and with the blood, communion. Okay, some people thought that. Most scholars and interpreters believe it to be the water Matthew 3, 17, of Jesus' baptism. Of Jesus' baptism. And the blood, Jesus' crucifixion. Matthew 27 and following. Uh, all, the other, all the other gospels as well. Calvin and Luther thought it was baptism and communion. Uh, Augustine actually thought it was when the spear went into Jesus' side and outflowed, the, the pericardium sac had been ruptured and it proved that Jesus had been dead before they killed him. So they, they were thinking about breaking his legs to hasten death, but then they looked at him and said, I think he's gone. So they pierced his 
his uh, side with a spear. And as they pierced it, a, a unique um, medical happening happened. Both water and blood came out side by side. And in their mind, there was evidence that he'd been dead for a while, for a little while, because of that. Augustine actually thought that's what the blood and the water was from. Most scholars, however, would think of um, immersion, the, the baptism of Jesus, and the death on the cross. And part of that is what's at stake when we talk about the blood. There was a group of people who didn't believe that Jesus suffered and died. And there's a group of Christians today who ignore or downplay, or some would say water down the crucifixion. You know, our culture's kind of, you know, blood intolerable. And we don't want to hear about, I didn't go to church to hear about blood. That's gross. But we're talking about blood because that's where the forgiveness lies. That's where the atonement happens. It's a pretty gross thing. No, we're not in a culture or society or the, the Old Testament where we actually slaughter animals and show the blood, but we focus on, just like in communion, an element called the blood of Jesus Christ, which is describing the cross. It's describing the moment of Jesus's death, the crucifixion. When, um, think about it for a minute. Some of, the, some of the amazing evidences for God's testimony happen at Jesus' baptism. Do you remember what took place as John is in the river, Jordan, and down the slopes of the river come Jesus, the Son of God? Do you remember what, what John says? John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. I told you he was coming. You've been getting baptized because this guy's coming. And guess what? He is here. And Jesus presented himself to be baptized in water in the Jordan River. And you remember what John said? John's like, I need to be baptized by you. What am I doing here baptizing? No, you baptize me. And Jesus said, no, to fulfill righteousness, to be a model, I'd say, to be an example this is going to be what all my followers do from here on for at least 2,000 years. <laughs> so John said, okay, even though I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals, I will do what you've asked and I will baptize you. And as he baptized him, think about the testimony that took place at the baptism. The sky literally opened up. Everybody on the shore, the Bible says, could see and hear the testimony of the Father. The Father. So you have a picture of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit coming down, not as a dove, but in a form like a dove. And gently, the, the scripture portray, resting on him. And then, and then here's the actual testimony, one of three that we have by the Father. <laughs> the sky spoke. God spoke from the sky. And everybody could hear on the shore, this 
is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Everyone, listen to him. I mean, what if you heard the audible voice of God booming from the sky? Wouldn't you just like hit the dirt in worship and praise and go, from then on, that's what happened. The disciples, including John, began to follow Jesus. Just what that voice said. Listen to him. They stopped following John the Baptist (laughs) and they started following Jesus. Why? Because of that testimony. Think about what's included in that. Number one, the identity of Jesus was clear. Just like if God himself was on the witness stand, who do you say Jesus is? (laughs) This is my Son, this is my son. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe God's testimony? <laughs> now listen, there's a second, there's a bit about his mission. And there's a bit about his identity relationally. This is my beloved son. Beloved son. This is my well-loved son. This is my dearly devoted son. This is my beloved one. It wasn't just a relational thing. It was a descriptive term about the intensity of the relationship. You know, that's what God, he doesn't want us to just intellectually go, okay, Jesus is God's son. You know, all of hell believes that. You know, all of hell believes that Jesus is God's son. We gotta go a little bit differently than hell, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased, well-pleased, the well-pleasing son. By the way, can I just pause enough to say, dads, you need to tell your kids what God said about his son. Tell them their identity is by God. Tell them their belovedness is from you, from your heart as well as from the Lord. Tell your kids that you are well-pleased in them. Many, many kids never hear that phrase, those words from a father. Now, you might be hearing today from your kids or your grandkids or your loved ones, happy Father's Day, da-da-da, and they're pouring the, but I'm asking it the other way. What about you as a father on Father's Day remembering Call your kids. Write to your kids. Text your kids. You know, and tell them, you mean so much to me. I thank God that you're in my life. I thank God you are a gift. Even if you're out of, even if you're not in the greatest relationship and fellowship with them, begin. Begin doing what God did as Jesus stood in the water and was baptized. God chose one of the three blessings as he gives us the word about who Jesus is when Jesus is in the water. Think about it for a minute from the blood side, okay? Excuse me. From the blood side, when Jesus died on the cross, 
Now, there was one other time where Jesus, where God audibly gave uh, affirmation to Jesus. It was at the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah showed up with Jesus. And some of the apostles were like, oh my gosh, we should just build a worship center right here. And God, again, speaks the same kind of word. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. But now in the blood, in the crucifixion, it's slightly different. It's not the same kind of audio, vocal. You know, what happens at the crucifixion? The moment that Jesus died, what took place? One thing, the veil was torn, not from bottom to top like a human could have done it. And we're talking about a three-inch or four-inch thick curtain, nothing that a human could do by themselves. We take a crane to do that today, and it's ripped from top to bottom so that no longer is there a barrier from the holy place to the holy of holies, and every person can now enter in without any barriers. God gave the testimony. I mean, the sky grew dark. We're talking about natural phenomenon where God spoke through the physical being. Rocks split and actually some graves opened up. We're talking about some amazing, we would say, cataclysmic events that took place. In fact, it was so amazing. Those around, like the, the Roman guards said, oh my gosh, this was the son of God. Where'd that come from? I mean, here's a Roman soldier testifying because God testified through the acts that took place as his blood was shed and he died on the cross. You know why? Because your sins and my sins were wrapped up in the salvation that came from Jesus dying on the cross. All of eternity is different because Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. We have a different eternity based on God's testimony and Jesus's fulfillment. We have the water <laughs> and we have the blood. Now there were some, uh, we're gonna talk about the spirit next. Jot that in, of course you got it. The triple testimony of the water, the blood, and the Holy Spirit. There were at the time of John, and there are today, um, errors being taught. At the time, it was called the Gnostics. Gnostic is just the word for knowing, so they had like a secret knowledge they'd talk about. One group of Gnostics was called the Corinthian. Don't get it confused with Corinthian. Some people would even say Serinthian because it's the, the guy's name um, that, that uh, promoted this. Corinthius was his name. So it's the Corinthian, not Corinthian, but Serinthian um, Gnostics. Now, here's what they believed. They believed that divinity came on Jesus at his baptism and then left him before the crucifixion, okay? That's partly, I think, why Paul, uh, John, John says it the way he says it. Not in water only, but water and the blood. They denied the crucifixion. They denied that divinity 
was, um, was his. The, um, a lot of this stems from Plato's uh, materialistic dualism. There's kind of this, this um, materialism versus the spiritual, material versus spiritual. In Serinthianism, this guy lived in um, Ephesus, which is where John, the apostle, taught and was an elder at the church in Ephesus. And they were mortal enemies because of their teaching being so opposite. One day, it's told that uh, the apostle John was headed to this community event and uh, opportunity, and he found out that Serinthius was in the building, and he said, let's, let's get out of here because the building might fall down because he's such an enemy of truth. And he, and he left the building. He taught that Jesus was the son of Joseph, but not the son of God. And that Jesus was simply a human like you and I, and that God kind of endowed him, or that, that he was endowed with the Christ spirit for a period of time, for three and a half years. But there was a, a, a counter teaching to Jesus being eternally human and divine, okay? They didn't believe that he was God. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They just believed he was endowed with a Christ spirit. It'd be a lot like New Age teaching today. We have a lot of Serinthianism, Gnosticism going on in our world and cults uh, today. They believed that because they didn't believe that Jesus could suffer as a human being, that the, the, the Christ spirit left him before he died on the cross, which is directly in contradiction to the scriptures. It's the opposite. They taught that Jesus was the, the son of Joseph, but not the son of God, and they denied his deity. So put that down. I think you've got a blank there to fill in. The divinity came on him briefly, but that he was not God from beginning to end. The second one that John is dealing with is called docetism. Docetism. Docetism, do, docetic means um, that it appeared or seemed to be a certain way. Here's how they believed it. They believed no God could become physical. Physical, evil. Spiritual, good. <laughs> it's kind of how they termed it. So no God, Jesus Christ, could become physical and be God. It only seemed to be real, that he was a figment of their imagination, or he was a ghost, or he only appeared to do the things that, they, that the scripture says he does. We would call this maybe appearism or seemism, okay? Because it seemed like you, that's what they said. Now, I'm, I'm not say, teaching these as truth today. I'm teaching these as falsehoods that John was against. Both of these Gnostic, they, they didn't believe Jesus had a body, that he was simply a figment of their imagination. So all the things that you and I believe about Jesus' birth, his life, his miracles, eventually his death, they discount. Because God would never be physical because that's evil. Only spiritual is good. 
And so they didn't believe that that happened. Um, there was a moral component to that kind of uh, Gnosticism because if physical is bad and evil is good, they kind of believed that as long as you were spiritually thinking the right thoughts, it didn't matter what you did with your physical body. You could commit adultery. It wouldn't matter. You could do anything you wanted, and it didn't affect who you really, really were. So spiritually, and you'll see this taught against in the book of Corinthians and other places, this was kind of pervasive. Do you sense that that's kind of happening today? <laughs> that there's people in our world today that make that kind of dichotomy and teach morality from that standpoint. No such thing as consequence to sin. That's kind of their bottom line. Now, because they thought that and because John is directly countering that, that's why I think he says, not, not water only, but blood and water. That speaks directly to these two falsehoods and blows them out of the water. Jesus Christ died in body. Now, here's one of um, John's own testimonies about seeing Jesus in the body. That's why he writes this, I believe. What was from the beginning, you remember this, what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and that life was manifested to us and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. See, what we've got here is an evidence-based testimony through the Apostle John from the Heavenly Father. Through the Apostle John. Through the, this is the John who saw Jesus up close and personal. This is the Jesus that gave evidence for who he was. And the Holy Spirit takes that kind of a testimony and it Breads it, embeds it in our heart and our lives. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Another phrase from Corinthians, it says, therefore I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. You know? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We know the Spirit's testimony. The Spirit is always pointing to Jesus. Don't you just love that about the Godhead? The Father's always blessing the Son. This is my beloved Son. The Son, what's he always doing? He's always glorifying the Father. He says, I don't speak anything of my own. I only say what the Father tells me to say. You know? And he says, I'm going to send another comforter. He, he blesses the Holy Spirit who will be with you. He'll, rem, he'll remind you of everything I've taught you. And then the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, does just what Jesus said it would do. He reminds people of what Jesus said. And that's how we get the scriptures. That's how we get the written testimony of God in our lives. The Godhead is always complementary they're never competing. 
That might be good for some of our families to note, huh? They're always blessing the other and asking for focus to be on the other. You see, Jesus, he, he was almost killed several times before he was actually crucified. And they said, because he claimed to be the son of God. Yeah. Because he claimed to be God's unique, special, individualized, beloved son. They were opposed to that. Remember when Paul was on trial with Festus in the book of Acts? And he tells him about Jesus. And he says, none of these things were done in secret. Everything that I'm telling you, you can do your own examination. These are true facts. You know, we can do the same thing today. The, 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 the belief, the faith, the trust that we have is not something, it's a secret knowledge like the Gnostics kind of had. We got some secret knowledge that nobody else has. No, it's wide open, like Paul and Festus. Everything we say is public, publicly available for all. That's the testimony of the Spirit. Well, I've taken too long on this, but let's move ahead. Let's talk about the results for a minute. I just want to give you a couple of nuggets. If you do what God says here and you become the jury, the jury pool, and you answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And who are you going to listen to? Here's some results of faith in him. Because you're not asked to build faith on nothing. You're not asked to take a leap of faith as if there's nothing there. You're instead asked to examine the evidence and to base your faith on trustworthy testimony. Now, your faith is 100% based on those who saw, who heard, and who felt Jesus. Your faith is based on that testimony and that testimony. It's not just, well, I feel this way or I feel that way. It's not that subjective. It's objective and open. In fact, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, have you thought about that? <laughs> he wants you and I to use this cranium, <laughs> to use this mind. It shouldn't be on a desk in the coroner's office. <laughs> he doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door and say, okay, no, just the opposite. You should love God with your mind. If a friend asks you for evidence, don't go, I don't know, I just believe it. Come on. Love God to the depth of the mind that he's given you. And some of you, God's given you way more mind than me. Okay. And it's not so much a thing of, is there enough evidence? It's more of the will. Do you will to believe? Are you catching that? Do you, will, do you decide to believe or not believe? Everyone's got enough evidence, but do we choose? In fact, I'd say, do you practice believing? Do you practice believing? One day, Billy Graham he was just kind of in the middle of his faith journey and struggling. He was just a young man. And he had these, some of them were passages, some of them were places that people had put doubts in his mind about the Bible, God's word. So one day he was out in the woods by a stump and he took out this Bible and he made a decision. He said, 
you know, these parts that I've had questions about, I choose to believe that this is the word of God. I choose to believe, he's all by himself. I choose to believe that this is the inerrant, inspired word of God, and I am gonna base my life on that. And guess what happened? He moved forward. He was stuck in a not choosing place. I can't see, sure. That's what faith and belief is all about. Weighing the testimony and choosing. Choosing. That's why you and I have to levy a verdict. There is evidence and it demands a verdict. We accept this human testimony, but God's testimony is greater. God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given us about his son. Now, you might ask yourself, do we accept human testimony? I mean, every day, don't you accept human testimony? And when you go to the bank to make a withdrawal, what have you just done? You're trusting the bank to be accurate with your funds. We all know that goes awry sometimes, right? Yeah. But we trust them. When you get, a rest, when you get uh, food from a restaurant, I mean, you're trusting some preparers in that. When you get a vaccination, no, no, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Uh, you're trusting people, you're trusting your doctor, even when you take a Tylenol. You're trusting people. And he's like, if you trust people and their testimony, how much more should you be trusting God? We're talking about the God of the universe here compared to human beings. Fallible human beings, infallible God. What are you gonna trust? Huh? The result of belief is trusting God because without faith, it is impossible to, trust, uh, to, to please God. It says for a minute there, false prophets came out and arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you, we would say today, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought the, who bought them, excuse me, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Why would you not believe what God says? Why would you doubt the heavenly Father? Sometimes we still think we can't trust the Lord. Now, let's talk about an inner witness. Jot these down if you've got a blank to fill in there. We get to have an inner witness, and if we deny that, it is calling God a liar. Whoa. You don't want that, right? Rejecting God's testimony is rejecting God. Can you catch that? In fact, let's repeat that together. Rejecting God's testimony is rejecting God. One more time. Rejecting God's testimony is rejecting God. That's his point. Don't discount or reject God's testimony. Instead, he says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Do you really want to call God a liar? Do you really want to go to battle with God? No? He says, no, believe the Lord. Trust God. Let him have his way with you because they have not believed the testimony God has given 
about his son. Jesus has come into your life. There's, there's a testimony that all of us could add to God's verbal testimony in the water or his testimony with Jesus on the cross. Most of us in here could testify to what God has done in your life, to what God is doing today in your life. Don't discount that. He is, whoever believes in the Son accepts this testimony. One version says, has this testimony in their heart. No. My mom, who's uh, in her 80s, described her eight-year-old experience in a church service where the pastor gave an invitation. He said, anyone who wants to be baptized today, come forward. You know, there's nothing in the Bible about coming forward, but we've used that in our history a lot. So my mom, at eight, she said she was thinking about this. My mom and dad said, I don't get to get baptized until I talk to them. But in her heart, God was calling. Deeply, deeply. So there was this kind of battle going on. Do I do what my mom and dad said, talk to them first? Do I make them mad by doing what I feel God's calling me to do? Go forward and get baptized. Guess what she did? She went forward and got baptized. I heard about it later. <laughs> and her mom and dad said, good going, girl. Good going, girl. Yeah. Well, what is it that tugs at your heart when you're at that point? It's an inner witness. It's the Holy Spirit's testimony that goes beyond just what he testified in the book of Acts with the apostles. He is testifying to you and I today about his activity in our lives, and he's calling us. He's calling us to him. He's calling us to surrender, to yield, to give our lives before him. Then we don't call him a liar. And when you just accept that you're a sinner, that you have a need, you're agreeing with God and you're trusting him. That is an inner witness instead of rejecting him. See, there's no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality. You are deciding. You are deciding. Is God a liar or is he telling the truth? Your friends, your loved ones, are they trusting God or not? See, our world says all roads lead to God. God doesn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I know that's harsh, but it's true. And we need to call it truth. In spite of what our culture says, in spite of what everyone else might think, stick with what God says and don't call him a liar. See, think about it for a minute. God demonstrated his love for us. He, he built this people for himself through which he was gonna bring the Savior, the children of Israel, through which he brought Jesus into the world to be the life-giving support for us. If God could have chosen any other way, don't you think he would have done it? I mean, if there was any way for him to avoid giving his son from heaven to earth or from earth to the cross, don't you think he would have done it? 
How arrogant of us to say all roads lead to God when God said, no, there's one road that leads to me and it's through my son. Yeah, think of the sacrifice for a minute. You are the Christ. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, Peter said. And that's what we ask every person to verdict today. Let's give me give you one, two more others. It gives you eternal life. Eternal life. Well, some might say everyone has eternal life. We're talking about eternal life with the Father. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Underline that. If there's anything that could bring you joy this morning as a heavenly Father looking down on us, he has given you and me eternal life. And this life is where? In his son. Let's just talk about that from that passage real quick. Notice it's a gift. What's it say? He has given. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can deserve. It is a gift. It's only something you can receive. Are you hearing that? Our world will tell us exactly the opposite and say, God's a liar. He's not giving you that. You've got to earn it. You've got to be good enough. You've got to do certain things to be religious enough. False. God says it can't be earned, it can't be deserved, it is a gift. It is given to you. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, if you, if you get Jesus, you get it all. <laughs> you get it all in Christ. John 17, verse 3 this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What's eternal life? Knowing God through Jesus Christ. One last one. Notice eternal life doesn't start somewhere off in history. It doesn't start somewhere down the line. Eternal life is designed to start. He has given us eternal life now. And this life right now is in his son. Don't wait for eternal life for the day you die. <laughs> eternal life is designed to start now and extend into eternity, we would say. You catching that? He's given us eternal life. Oh, what a precious gift. Get to thank God for eternal life. Here's that verse. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And he has appeared to take away our sins. By the question to ask you, do you have life? Do you have Christ? Is he your savior? Do you believe what God has said? Think about eternal life often. This week I got to meet a 107-year-old lady, a year young lady, 107 years Old. She's this Norwegian, tough bird. You know? It's just a lovely lady, though. It's fun to hear about her family and things. It was really fun to hear about her relationship with God for 107 years. But you know, her thought, mine, that'd be a blip on the screen compared to eternity. What he's got in store for us. Let's go to the last one here. It gives us not just eternal life, it gives us his son. His son, 
<laughs> and our Savior. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has what? Life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In his gospel, he says, but the wrath of God rests upon him. Let me just end by reading this from the message, and then we'll have a song. Jesus, the divine Christ. I think I've got this. There we go. Jesus, the divine Christ, he experienced a life-giving birth and a death-killing death. I just love that. Not only birth from the womb, but baptismal birth of his ministry and sacrificial death. And all the while, the Spirit is confirming the truth, the reality of God's presence at Jesus' baptism and crucifixion, bringing those occasions alive for us. A triple testimony. The Spirit, the baptism, and the crucifixion. And these three in perfect agreement. If we take human testimony at face value, how much more should we be reassured when God gives Testimony as he does here, testifying concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God inwardly confirms God's testimony. Whoever refuses to believe in effect calls God a liar, refusing to believe God's own testimony regarding him, regarding his son. This is the testimony in essence. God gave us eternal life and that life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever rejects the son rejects life. Let's stand together. We just ask you as you sing this and lead out. The response is, who is Jesus to you? Who is God's son to you? Number one, what is your verdict? Number two, are you willing to give that verdict to others? Are there people that might be in one of those other groups other than the convinced? Let's talk about the convinced and the not yet. Is there somebody you can think of that needs to hear your verdict? That you can say, I believe, I trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way you do. It's so amazing, so incredible. Thank you for giving us a testimony in the water in the blood, by the Spirit. Lead us, Father, this day into new dimensions of faith and of sharing. For it's in Jesus we pray. Amen.